0: This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. And what a powerful word and song. Amen. I hope that's the prayer of your heart, your desire, that God would pour more and more and more into your life. That certainly is my heart's desire. I followed the Lord for a long, long time. And he has really blessed my life and filled me with his presence. But I'll tell you what, it's not enough. And there is more to receive. Don't ever become complacent. Don't ever say, I've got enough. I've already preached that sermon to you, so I won't go there again. But pull your notes out for today's message. Uh, Today I want to wrap up this uh, brief look that we've started on on the Holy Spirit by talking with you about walking in the power of the spirit in your life. In other words, living daily with a sense of God's uh, presence and his guidance, his direction. I started this this uh, series that we've called He's Got All the Power You Need about three weeks ago. And um, we started by re- referencing the scripture that I actually used in my Easter message, which came out of Ephesians chapter one that says, uh, where Paul says, I I want you to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe. And then he says, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in heavenly places. And that thought that Paul states there in, in Ephesians 1 verses 19 and 20 just captured me. God, that Power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us as believers. And apparently we don't fully understand that because he says there, I want you to understand this. So we we maybe have a little bit of an idea of what it's about, but but I have a feeling God wants to reveal a whole lot more to us about what this means. And so that's the reason why we've we've set on this journey, and it's been a brief one, obviously into the, the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Um, and so today we're gonna to be talking and finishing up the series about, re- about walking in the spirit, living daily in the power of the spirit. Robert Morris in his book, The God I, I Never Knew, shares this story of a, uh, of a poor man in, in Eastern Europe in the early 1900s who wanted to move himself and his family to the United States of course, in hope of building a better life. And after several years of scrimping and saving, he finally saved enough money to purchase a third-class ticket on a large steamship to to New York City. He only had enough money for one ticket, so he and his wife decided that he would go ahead of his family, he would find a job, and as quickly as possible, save enough money to bring his family to America to join him. Uh, As the story goes, he spent virtually all of his savings on purchasing the ticket, leaving him very little money for buying food on board the ship, plus he would need what little money he had left in order to get established once he got to America. So he bought a a wheel of hard cheese, some of you will remember that, Uh, a wheel of hard cheese and a box of crackers to keep him sustained on his 12 day journey to America. As his journey began, he carefully rationed out the cheese and the crackers, making sure that he had enough to carry him all the way through the trip. And sometimes he would he would kind of torture himself, I guess really, during mealtimes, he would look through the windows and watch the other his his shipmates uh, in there eating these lavish and wonderful meals that were being served to these other passengers. And the food just looked so wonderful to him, but he comforted himself in the knowledge that on some future day, he would be earning enough money in America to eat well and to bring his family back over to America and, and for his family also to eat well. And then he would slip back into his cabin to uh, ration out his cheese and crackers to himself. On the final day of the journey, there was great excitement on board the ship because the Statue of Liberty was, was coming into view. It was a good thing too, because he had eaten his final portion of, by this time molding cheese and stale crackers at noon the previous day, so he was very hungry. Eventually, he found himself on the deck of the ship at the railing, standing beside one of the ship's stewards. And they talked a bit about the excitement of their arrival in New York. And the, it was then that the steward asked him a question. He said, I, I don't mean to pry, her, but I noticed that you didn't take any of your meals with, the, with your fellow passengers in the dining hall. I trust we didn't do anything to offend you. Oh, no, he said. Everyone has been so gracious, it's just that I'm trying to save what little money I have left for my expenses to get established in America so I didn't wanna spend money on food. And the steward was just shocked and said, didn't you know that three meals each day were included in the price of your ticket? We set a this is a powerful statement, we set a place for you at every meal, but you never came. And when I read that, I thought, how much that, that is symbolic of a lot of Christians. A meal has been set for which we don't come, for which we don't avail ourselves. There's so much that Christ has made available to us as believers through his death and resurrection, but so many don't experience it. The fact is, and this is what I want you to get, you can be a a Christian, a good Christian, a wonderful Christian, but you're eating cheese and crackers spiritually when when a whole spiritual buffet is available to you and you're not partaking of it. Now, some believers, like the man in the story, they don't know about the buffet. They've never heard about the buffet. They go to a church that won't teach them about the buffet. Other believers have heard about the buffet, but they've heard bad things about the buffet and they keep a distance from it. But the point is, and if you can trust me on this, once you have enjoyed the buffet that God has for you, there is no going back to the cheese and the crackers, let me tell you. This is the blessing that Jesus has promised each of us through his spirit. Now in weeks one and two of this uh, little mini series on the Holy Spirit we've been talking about, I I shared with you about who the Holy Spirit is, how he wants to be your helper, how he wants to be your friend. I talked with you about developing a greater hunger for more of, of him in your life. And then last week I shared about Experiencing the the first, what I would call the first token of that hunger, which is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to talk with you about learning to walk daily in the Spirit. I mentioned last week that some believers, and I grew up in this kind of an environment, where we saw the baptism in the Holy Spirit sort of as a goal to achieve. If I can just get that, I'll be like everybody else. But it's, it's not a goal. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a doorway into a whole new life of spiritual influence in your life. And that's why the Apostle Paul encouraged us in Galatians 5.25 to live not only in the Spirit, but to walk in the Spirit as well. In other words, we need to move from just an experience with God to him actually functionally moving through our lives on a daily basis. Can you imagine Monday morning, 9 a.m., and the Spirit of God is directing you. The Spirit of God is speaking to you about specifics of your day because you are in touch with with what he is going to tell you. You're in touch with the spirit and he is ready to tell you things that will help you in ways you cannot believe. That's why I said, he's your helper. So if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit as well. Now, just a few verses before this verse 25 in that same chapter, Paul tells us what the Spirit's life will produce in us. In verses 22 and 23, he said, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't have time today to get into it, but you'll notice that this is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit does all of these things in our lives. This is all part of the one fruit that he produces. Even though there's nine components that are listed there, it's all one fruit of the Spirit. This is God's Spirit living in us, living through us. We tend to gauge spirituality on the basis of how people are used or how they are gifted or, or some measuring stick that we see that's external. God measures our spirituality on the basis of these nine fruit. In other words, you can be mightily used at times. I would submit to you that Samson in the Old Testament was mightily used, but he was in direct rebellion to his covenant with God. God didn't lift his power off of him immediately. It took time, and sometimes we can look at people, and they can seem or appear so spiritual, but the the fruit of the Spirit is not really coming out. They're divisive people. They, They tear things up. They don't build things up, and the Holy Spirit's work always builds people and things up. When we turn ourselves over to the fullness of the Holy Spirit within us, out of that surrender develops this fruit, this, this new fruit. And like with any fruit that's developing on a tree, it starts as a, well, at this season of the year, a flower, but eventually the flower gives way to a, the formation of a little piece of fruit, an apple or cherry or whatever it is. And eventually as it matures, it gets larger and more profitable to partake of. The same thing is true of our spiritual fruit. You might be in the flower stage right now. Some of you are flower people. It's obvious. You're flower children. harkening back to my 60s uh, there. You're, you're flower people. You know, you're at the flower stage. Others of you are full grown. Man, and people partake of the joy and the love and the patience and the, the overcoming spirit that is in you. I mean, you affect, infect and affect other people tremendously because the the fruit has matured within you. But the point I'm trying to make is do not judge spirituality on the basis of what you perceive to be the acts of people, but rather the character of people. And the character needs to be that of the working of the spirit. Now, do you know that your life produces fruit? You produce fruit. Everyone does, and what I mean by that is something comes out of you, something comes out of me all the time. It's either evil or it's holy. There's no neutral ground. Have you ever known people that everyone avoids, everybody steers clear from? Certainly you have. We, We all have people like that in our lives. Hopefully you're not married to that person. You'll hear it in the break room at work. Keep away from Joe today. He's on the warpath again. And it's that way at home with people. It's that way even in the church. You make a grave error if you think that the church is just one notch lower than heaven. We are people in various stages of spiritual development. Different things will happen even within the framework of, of the church. And sometimes even in the church, People you try to avoid because of the way they act or the way that they talk. You know, people give off an atmosphere of what's inside of their heart. In fact, in the same chapter of Galatians, Galatians 5, Paul talks about the evil that comes out of many people, verses 19 through 21. But when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results impure thoughts, eagerness for for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is, encouraging the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaint and criticism, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your little old group, and there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and all that sort of thing, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is describing here a life that is not controlled by the Spirit. And people produce either that kind of fruit in their lives, that's what comes out of them, or it's a fleshly fruit, it's an evil fruit, or if they walk in the Spirit, they produce this fruit of the Spirit, that we talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it would be wonderful if I could tell you that bad fruit only comes out of bad people, but I've seen like really bad people, but I have seen bad fruit come out of confessing Christians. Sadly, I've even seen it in me So giving your life to Christ does not instantly do away with all of the evil tendencies that we have inside of us. It's only as we allow the spirit to control us, it's only as we seek him to fill us, that this old life dies off and a new kind of fruit begins to form. So with that in mind, I want to make a few comments and observations about walking in the spirit. The first observation I would make is this, that walking in the spirit is more than good intentions. Don't equate having good intentions as being, now your good intentions could be spiritually motivated, but it's more than just having good intentions about you. Um, If good intentions really worked, we would all keep our new year's resolutions. That ought to be proof right there that good intentions don't work. They only take you so far. We need more than good intentions. We must have the help of the spirit to change us from the inside out. That's why religion doesn't work. Religion is trying to change you from the outside in. It can never happen. It never will happen. That's why a criminal can go to prison for years and get out of prison and do exactly the same thing or worse than what he did that put him into prison in the first place. You can't can't take evil out of the heart of a person by, by by changing their external circumstances. Only God can change the heart of a man or a woman. And when that change takes place, it goes beyond good intentions, then it becomes a direction and an empowerment from the spirit of God. We need the spirit in us, changing us from the inside out. And that's what walking in the spirit is. It's you living under the spirit's control and allowing the Holy Spirit to shape you to simply be more like Jesus. Warren Wiersbe's commentary on on Galatians talks about what it means to walk in the spirit. I love what he says. He says, it's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things, but quite something else to then do good things. The legalist might be able to boast that he is not guilty of adultery or or murder, but can anyone see the beautiful graces of the spirit in his life? Look at this last sentence. Negative goodness is not enough. There must be positive qualities as well. In other words, Walking in the spirit is not saying it's not the same as you can't do this, you can't do that, and you can't do the other thing. Tell you the truth, I was raised on that kind of legalism. That that being spiritual meant no, 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 no. Walking in the spirit is not what you can't do walking in the spirit is what now you can begin to do because there's a new power that lives within you that graces your life that fills you that gives you a new attitude new dna of thinking and you become a different person and people come up to you and they say what's the matter with you I long for for unsaved people to say that about me. What is the matter with you? There's nothing wrong, it's just you're different. And here's the difference, you can tell them what the difference is. It's the power of God in your life and the working of God's spirit within you. And they may not understand that right away, but they can't deny what they are seeing in your life. So faith in Christ is not a faith of no, it is a faith of yes, it is a faith of can do that's why Paul said in Philippians 4:13, "I can do all things through him who strengthens me." So walking in the spirit means doing the right things, and that's possible because we allow the Spirit to produce new fruit in us. We have this new capacity. Number two, walking in the spirit comes through conviction. Conviction is your friend. You may not like how it feels. You may not like what it tells you about yourself, but conviction is God telling you that you are on the wrong path or you're making a wrong choice. And you need to listen to that. It'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. I believe you cannot truly walk in the Spirit without allowing God to convict you, to speak to you when you need it. And we all need conviction from time to time. Jesus said this of the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse eight, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. That's a powerful statement right there. I just want to look at the first part. He will convict of sin. One of the spirits roles is to convict people that they are sinners. To, to, help them to understand that the way they've lived their lives has separated them from God. And that's true of all of us. Now the intent of this conviction is not to bring guilt alone. It does bring guilt, but to then heal the guilt by getting into right relationship with God. All right, So that's the intent of the conviction deepening our relationship with God. That's how the spirit works with unbelievers. But do you know, that's also how he deals with believers. Conviction? When we allow the Spirit to speak to us about our sins, about our spiritual failures, we are allowing him to shape us into the likeness of Christ and to produce the fruit of the Spirit within us. What I want you to understand, though, is that this conviction is not a conviction of judgment. It's a conviction of godly discipline. Let me explain the difference. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, 32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. All right, so it's important that we fall into the right category here. You don't want to come under the judgment or the condemnation of the world. You do want to come under the discipline of the Lord. Being condemned with the world is an eternal judgment which leads to eternal separation from God, what we oftentimes refer to as hell. When he says you're being judged with the world, he's talking about your eternal soul ending in a place of separation from the the benevolence and the goodness of God, what the Bible defines as hell. You don't want that judgment upon your life because if you receive that judgment in eternity, there's no going back, there's no changing. That's That's what you receive but you do want the discipline or the conviction of the Spirit because the the discipline of the Spirit leads to eternal life, leads to empowerment. That's why I said conviction is our friend. It's the Spirit's way of keeping us aligned with the will of God for our lives. So believers who walk in the Spirit have learned to embrace conviction. In fact, they, they either consciously or subconsciously will, will pray the prayer of the psalmist who, says, who said, reveal my heart, O God. What, show me what's in my heart, O God. Reveal it to me. I want to know if there are things in my life that are, that are hindering my walk with you. If you're that kind of a believer, the Holy Spirit will speak to you about things that are hurting you and will help you to overcome those things so that you can have greater liberty in the Holy Spirit and more power of God flowing through you. Thirdly, I would say about walking in the Spirit, that it will give you freedom. It frees you. Second Corinthians 3:17 3, 3, says, "For the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Lord or the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." Now, I think that there are at least two areas where this freedom will affect us. First of all, this freedom will give you liberty over strongholds in your life. And I'm talking here about sins that may have been part of our past, but even after we come to Christ, they continue to have some measure of power over us. They're they're called strongholds, demonic strongholds. Uh, Those things don't always go away just because we give our lives to Jesus, there's a part, uh, uh, it's a warfare issue and we continue to have to fight that And, and each of us are different in this regard. So the spirit wants to give you freedom over those things and not have you live under the judgment and the guilt that those controlling strongholds bring. I think of King David of Israel in the Old Testament, he had some issues in his heart that were never settled with God that were never cleaned up. He had a marvelous spirit. Oh, he's a man after God's own heart. And yet he had some areas of weakness in his life that never were transformed by the power of God. And because of that, he fell into adultery to cover up the adultery, fell into murder, and it became a mess and, and it nearly cost him his throne and it nearly cost him his life. You can read the story about that in the Old Testament. But God has given to us today the, the spirit to give us the ability to overcome in these areas. Conviction will, will reveal to you an area of weakness in your life, and then he'll empower you with the ability to overcome that area. That's why Paul could go on and say in Romans 8, 37, that in all of these things, we become more than conquerors, thank God, because of of the love of God that he has shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit becomes an agent of deliverance for us, giving us the power to not live by the the carnal flesh anymore, but to live by the the Spirit's dwelling and empowerment and the will of God. The second area that I, I think is important is freedom in worship. When the Holy Spirit comes into a church, comes into your heart, it is ama- amazing how, how we turn into liberated worshipers. You know, now each of us have different personalities. So the way this plays out, you don't have to violate the personality that God gave you, but you may, you may want to trump the personality every once in a while. You may want to say, you know what, self, you're not going to control me, God is going to control me, you know? And some people say, well, I don't feel like worshiping God, and if I worship God when I don't feel like it, it's like being a hypocrite. No, what you're doing is allowing your feelings to be your God. I come in here, sometimes I don't feel like it. Maybe I'm in pain or something in my body. You know what I do? I submit the pain to the glory of God, and I say, I'm gonna worship you anyway, Jesus. (laughs) Maybe I come in with some, some emotional pain. Maybe you have a failure in your past week or whatever, and the devil's really being insane. Oh, you shouldn't even be in church. You're not worthy of being in there with them. You know, if that were the case, then none of us would be here because none of us are worthy or good enough. You know, we all, and the devil will beat you up with that and say, you can't, No, you raise, you're phony, you can't raise your hands and like that. You put him in his place and you stand on the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ that you are accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Now. Everything that I just said is not in my notes, that's from God for you. Now, this this is in my notes here. God loves it when we love him with passion. In fact, that's one of the values of our church. L of life stands for love, our passion for God. We are passionate about God here. We're not doing a religious service. We're passionate about loving God. And he loves it when we are passionate about loving him. And we do this daily, but there is something dynamic that happens when we come together as a group. I mean, it just releases the Lord's power within our lives. We are lifted up from that. You know. When the lame man in Acts chapter three was healed, the Bible says that he went into church that day, jumping and leaping and praising God. There's a lot of churches in America today that would kick him out, would never allow him in. And Psalm 47 one says, come everyone clap for joy, shout triumphant praises to the Lord. Wow, what does that say about how we're to live our lives? Come and give joyful praise, triumphant praise. See, sometimes praise will be a demonstration of of your faith that God is working in triumph in your life. It's not a matter of, oh, God has worked in my life, so I'm gonna praise him. Sometimes praise is on the front end of, of of the miracle, okay? So the Lord wants to work in your life that way. So I'm just going to tell you what I believe. If you if you come from a church that has taught you that joy in the Lord is wrong, you were taught wrong. In fact, Nehemiah 8:10 says, "Don't be dejected. Don't be sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." Hallelujah. If that is true, doesn't it just make sense then that the devil doesn't want you to be joyful? Doesn't it just make sense that he'll raise up religious systems that say you've got to be reverent. Don't express anything because God doesn't like you happy. Wouldn't it just make sense that, that the devil would raise up those kind of belief systems and they're all over the place in America today. If you want strengthen your life, learn to be a joyful worshiper. Now I've just scratched the sur- surface of what it means to walk in the spirit, but I, I just want to leave you with the scripture that we started with today, Galatians 5.25, if we live in the spirit and the word if could actually be translated also since, since it is a fact that we are, have been made alive in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit. You do them both. So as we close today, let me just ask you a couple questions. Are you living, are you walking, I should say, in the spirit? Do the qualities of the works of the flesh that Paul talked about, do they come out of your life way too often? It's too much there. I mean, nobody's perfect. But does that stuff come out way too often? Or is the fruit of the spirit obvious in your life? And if there is fruit growing, well, is it growing? Have you been a flower person for 15 years? It's time to let it grow. It's time to let the fruit start showing a little bit and then growing and maturing so that other people can be influenced by you. They can eat from the fruit that you produce. Does that make sense? You're you're giving them some. This This brothers and sisters is how we overcome. We overcome by learning to go beyond just being saved and letting the Holy Spirit really control and fill our lives. But I'll end today by just saying this, the truth is you will not have real life unless you take the first step of allowing the spirit to have your life, unless you give your life back to God. If you give him your life, he will give you a gift. And the gift is called salvation. And he will seal that through the Holy Spirit living within you, coming to indwell your spirit. That all comes through surrender to Jesus. So I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads this morning as we close. And I just want to ask you today, do you know Jesus is your Savior? This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at LifeChurchUtah.com.